Hello, and welcome to another edition of Critical Q&A, the show where I answer your questions based on what you've left for me in the comments section of my Q&A videos or have sent to me by email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. All right, a couple things to take up here real fast. Uh, thing number one is that uh, this uh, podcast, my podcast this week was an interview, a very, very long and extensive interview with uh, Bree Mood, who is a, a young woman who just recently escaped from the Church of Scientology, the Sea Organization, and had an amazing, uh, atrocious story to tell uh, about her experience growing up in Scientology, joining the Sea Org uh, after being a staff member, and um, all the, you know, horrible things that can happen to a person, you know, obviously, uh, we talked about and, uh, and went over, and some of it was pretty bad. Um, but she is an amazing, resilient, and uh, very resourceful person. And, uh, and I was very, very happy to not only get her hooked up with the Aftermath Foundation so that she could get the help that she needed coming out, but to uh, help her to have a voice and speak her truth uh, to the world about what her experience. So that was what that was all about. So I encourage you to check that out. It's long, but I, you know, I'm just going to say I didn't expect anybody to sit down and just watch a three-hour interview beginning to end. <laughs> I figured people were going to take it in chunks, and that's fine. Uh, and I'm thinking about um, breaking out some highlight videos from that, and maybe some other interviews that I've done too. I've done enough work with interviews that maybe I should start busting out little little segments of them as previews or snippets or bits for people. So I'm thinking about doing that too. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. Okay, now the other thing I wanted to talk about was Patreon. I've been challenged by a few viewers as to my position on Patreon, why I still use it, uh, considering that Patreon kicked off one of its creators, and there has been a lot of kerfuffle and, and, and uh, uh, back and forth on um, whether Patreon did the right thing or not in kicking a guy named Sargon of Akkad off of Patreon because of things that he had said publicly. Um, I don't particularly agree with that call, but I need to be clear about something. The only reason that this channel can continue to exist is because I have a Patreon uh, page and through the support of you guys. If I didn't have that, this channel would no longer exist. So, for those of you who are challenging me and saying, well, why are you still on Patreon when they kicked him off and you're a free speech advocate, I'm going to tell you that the answer to that question, quite simply, is because it is my livelihood. And I can't afford to go to some other platform that doesn't exist or go off and create my own because I don't have the resources to do that. And so if I'm going to continue to expose Scientology abuses, educate and inform about destructive cults, critical thinking, and everything else that I want to talk about, I need that support. And that's really basically the bottom line. I am not married to Patreon. I'm not particularly in a position where I feel that Patreon is... Um, you know, is, I'm, is worthy of being defended on that particular instance with, uh, with Carl Benjamin. I, like I said, I disagree with what they did. I don't think they should have kicked him off. Um, but I enjoy what I do here, and I think you guys do too. And so if that's the only way that I can go about doing this, then that's what I'm going to do. Because I don't think it serves anyone's um, purposes or principles for me to just stop entirely because I disagree with something that a corporation did in making a bad call. 
that doesn't make any sense to me. So that's why you're going to continue to see me talk about and encourage you to support this channel through Patreon, and I hope that makes sense. And if anyone has any more issue with that, you're certainly free to email me or talk to me about it, uh, but that's, that's my statement on it. Okay, guys, let's get on with your questions now. Brian Torpy, who actually has the power in the church to declare someone a suppressive person? Do they all come direct from Miscavige? If they don't, does he need to approve all of them? Or is it something lower-ranking executives at org levels have the power to issue without higher approval? Thanks for the question, Brian. The International Justice Chief is the name of the post of the person who is responsible for all suppressive person declares. Uh, any suppressive person declare that happens um, outside of, you know, RTC or the int base, I don't know if they send their SP declares down to him because he's, this is a post at upper middle management. It's, it, the, the guy works in Los Angeles, it's at, in Hollywood, uh, at the Hollywood Guarantee Building. And, um, and I don't think David Miscavige or anybody at RTC is particularly going to be asking that guy permission to, do, uh, to declare people because they're a very, very senior body. But in the normal course of events of suppressive person declares, which is kind of how I'm answering this question, I'm not talking about David Miscavige or RTC. They have the power to just declare somebody, just boom, you're declared. They can do that. But in the normal course of people being declared suppressive, it's the IJC who does it, and his, it's his final stamp of, and his name on it uh, that, that signifies an approval of a suppressive person declare. There's a whole package of information that's sent to him by the continental justice chiefs. So West U.S., East U.S., Canada, Latin America, these continental zones that Scientology is divided up into, each one of them has a continental justice chief on post in the, in, as a Sea Org member. That person uh, is the one who puts the packages together of suppressive person declare on Joe Schmo, let's say. Um, and there's, there's different ways it can happen. Somebody could be ordered uh, to be declared by a very, very senior person, like I said, an RTC person. Um, but normally it's a committee of evidence is held. And we've done podcasts on COMEVs and, and what they're all about, so you can check those out. It's the highest, most serious uh, fact-finding investigative body in Scientology as a committee of evidence uh, when that's called, you know, and, um, and they can recommend that a person be declared a suppressive person or not. You know, a committee of evidence could come up with anything from he's innocent of all charges to, you know, roast him and declare him and, and expel him. So, um, so that's the main usual route that someone goes in order to get declared is they have a COMEV. The COMEV is held because they've committed crimes according to Scientology's Justice Codes, which are in the Scientology Ethics Book, and in a policy letter called Scientology Jurisprudence, uh, you know, and it lays out all the crimes and high crimes and misdemeanors and errors and things that you can, that you can do. Um, okay, and that's pretty much how it happens. Um, you know, there's, there could be, there's, there's thousands of different scenarios as to how one goes about getting COMEVed and getting declared. A COMEV is not absolutely necessary if a very senior person is uh, ordering you to be declared. They can just order it. But that generally would require, um, like when I say very senior, I mean like an RTC person, right? Somebody who works uh, you know, directly under David Miscavige or, of course, David Miscavige himself. Or theoretically, somebody who, a Sea Org member who is on an ethics mission, 
So he's fired out on a special project called a mission in order to get ethics in in an area, right? Kick ass, take names, make an example of people, you know, get things going. Maybe it's, maybe they send an ethics mission in because the place was dead or not moving or something like that. Ethics missions would go into orgs, by the way. Um, so the Sea Org can send an ethics mission to Denver, let's say, right, to the Denver Org. And let's say that uh, they have their, they, they theoretically have unlimited ethics powers. So that Sea Org mission could go in there and say, you're declared. But I've never seen anybody do anything like that. I mean, not in a long, not since the 70s or 80s. Um, because there's due process and that sort of thing in Scientology to some degree. <laughs> so if somebody were declared by a lesser person on the, you know, on the, on the chain of command, a Sea Org mission, that person would probably be able to request a committee of evidence to look into the whole thing and decide whether that was actually proper or not. Okay, so there's some, some degree of recourse in all of this, but not much. Uh, practically speaking, not a lot. So those are the ways it tends to happen, um, and I hope that answers your question. Haley Smith, I'm interested in the beaching policy. Could you explain the offenses that would result in beaching? And does beaching automatically declare you, or does it mean you go public or make amends? I would love to hear an interview of a former Sea Org member who was beached. Okay, well, being beached is really, I, there's only one offense I can remember or recall that causes a person to be beached, which means being kicked off a boat and being left on the beach, you know, and they just, they just leave you there. And that has happened in the Sea Org's past. Um, the, the reason now, the reason why somebody would be beached at this point would be out 2D. They had sexual relations with somebody that they should not have. In other words, that they weren't married to, or they had unmarried, you know, they're not, they're not married at all, and they go and have sex with somebody as a Sea Org member, they're going to be in a lot of trouble. They're, gonna, they're supposed to get beached for that. It, it was the uh, situation for a very, very, very long time that that policy was basically ignored, and people were simply sent to the RPF, uh, which I've talked about. So, uh, I mean, that's what that's what I went to the RPF for. I didn't actually have sex with somebody else, but I, you know, had sexual type relations with somebody, uh, phone sex. And so um, that was enough to put it over the top, and off I went to the RPF. I should have been beached, see? And now that they are not really doing the RPF a whole lot anymore or assigning people to the RPF, they are beaching people who do that. Um, but context matters because if the person's very valuable or a resource that has had a lot of training, years of experience in the Sea Org, they're probably not going to beach the person. They're probably going to give them a, you know, slap around and a lot of ethics and maybe, you know, demote them from their post, but they're not going to kick them out of the Sea Org entirely unless the person actually wants to go. So that's, that's generally how that kind of thing works. Um, beaching is, um, I, I think there were a couple people back in the day who, like I'm talking about like back in the late 60s, early 70s, directly under Hubbard, who might have been beached for other reasons, um, but that's, that doesn't really happen these days. So, I don't know, that's, uh, that's, that's how that works. Steve Wood. So Scientology all begins with potentially a body router gets you to come into an org and you fill out the questionnaire and probably whatever you write, the rep is undoubtedly going to say, we can help you with that. And so it begins. So now you begin your arduous and expensive journey up the bridge to total freedom. 
Then, as you continue to rise, you will experience some basic gains, such as the communications course, and then you come across other issues on things that don't make as much sense as the earlier courses, but you think that as you have spent all this money, maybe it's just you, since other people around you seem to be doing well. Maybe the next level will clarify things. And so it keeps going, but then once you have read OT3 and accepted what it says, the next levels make no sense to me. From what I understand is that you now pay an increasingly large amount of money and audit yourself, which is called, I believe, solo auditing. You are identifying where all of your body thetans are located and removing them one by one. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but isn't that like, for example, wanting to learn French and you pay a large amount of money and are given a book and told to read it, and that will be $50,000? <laughs> anyway, assuming this unbelievably is still making sense to you, you then continue on up to OT7 and then finally to OT8. I have many books by all of the major critics and listen to as many YouTube shows and podcasts on this subject as possible. I am almost addicted to this subject as it's so damn interesting, but in the same way a car crash is. It's hard not to look as most of the stories are amazing, and what's more, they are real. So what I really want to know is whether I'm correct in my assertion that the main benefit of paying all that money and the hours of studying is so that when you die, you now have the ability to choose a body and return to Earth with full memory of your past life and be a full OT8 Scientologist. Do I have this right? What is the point of doing this as the big prize at the top of the bridge is basically unattainable to the rank-and-file Scientologist? Please help me to understand. Okay, Steve, your question was not inaccurate or off in any way. Everything you said is pretty much how things go. Now, there's more to it, though. You're kind of missing a lot. And so let me fill in the blanks, because everything you said was right, but now let's get the full story. People go up the bridge in Scientology because they get very, very excited at the possibilities of their potential as a spiritual entity. This is, the, this is the carrot. This is the thing that is being sold in Scientology is your personal spiritual freedom and immortality as a being. Um, and full awareness of who you are, who you have been, and what, you know, and the, and the ability to create your future in any way you want. And that is really where it's at. It's not about coming back next lifetime in a new body and being able to remember everything that's happened to you in the past. That's only one tiny part of the promise or potential that Scientology is supposed to fulfill for its OTs. Um, let me give you a couple pieces of information, might help clarify some things here. Very early on in the development of Scientology, even before Scientology was a thing, really, before it was an official church, when Hubbard was first developing Scientology, 1952 was a really crucial year for Scientology because it was the year that that word first came out into the public forum. It was um, when Hubbard started going from Dianetics to Scientology, started stressing all the spirituality. And he started working and lecturing to define the potentials and parameters of what a spiritual entity could actually do. And the way he talked about it from then forward was basically it's unlimited potential. You can do anything as an OT, anything you can basically conceive of. Um, because in, the, in the, phys the physical universe, everything you see around us, as far as Scientology is concerned, 
This is all an illusion. It is the sum total result of the collective reality that we all agree is true. And the only reason we live and die and eat and sleep and have babies and go to school and drive cars, the only reason the planet goes around the sun, that all this stuff exists or has any reality at all is because we agree that it has reality. The key word that defines or describes what an operating thetan is, is disagreement. You disagree with the physical universe. You disagree with, with all the agreements that you've made over all the millennia you've been around. You've been agreeing and making the universe more and more solid. You have been reducing your potential as a spiritual entity or as a thetan down from the infinity of potential that you had where you could create universes if you wanted to. You have reduced that down over all these trillania to a zero, to a nothing. You have no real awareness of your spirituality. You think you're a body. You think this world is all there is. You think man came from mud. You know, if you believe science, then, you know, we're the result of spontaneous combustion in a sea of ammonia. Hubbard used to ridicule this idea endlessly because life in its all its complexity and vastness and potential, Hubbard said it couldn't just be the result of random chance. And so Hubbard's version of intelligent design is that Thetans are the one who created all of this, not God. God might have created thetans or spiritual entities in some other universe somewhere, and Hubbard really doesn't talk about that at all. He just sort of hints at it. He never really says where thetans come from exactly. He just says they came into the physical universe four trillion years ago or some odd number. So this infinite potential that a, that a thetan has is what Hubbard started talking all about in 1952. And he was using e-meters, and he was lecturing, and he was talking to people, and he was saying, man, this is really big. This is bigger than anybody ever imagined. You have the, the, the power to, you know, leave this universe entirely, not even be involved in the physical universe anymore. You can go off and you could literally create your own universes. You can play whatever game you want to play. Life will be wide open to you as an operating Thetan. And that's why he called it an operating Thetan. He said that, that Thetans in their current state of existence here on Earth are practically dead. You can't kill a Thetan, so you can only knock him out or, or hypnotize him, or, and I use him only in a generic way, Thetans don't have male, female, but you could hypnotize him, you can put him to sleep, you can knock him out, but you can't kill him. And you can all, and you can make him forget, right? So, um, so Thetans have been bumbling around down the centuries in this universe and getting worse and worse shape and worse and worse shape. And so Scientology promises to be the only thing, the only thing in this entire universe that is designed specifically to free you as a Thetan. Whereas everything else in the physical universe is designed to entrap you and keep you here and keep you ignorant and keep you down and suppress you. So, um, so Scientology offers this way out. You have to follow the exact route that Hubbard laid. 
You have to follow in his footsteps. And this is what encourages Scientologists to act like L. Ron Hubbard, to be like L. Ron Hubbard, to ask themselves, what would Ron do in this situation or this situation? Because Ron's the only one in all the eternity that the universe has existed who actually figured out how to get out of this trap. And getting out of this trap means you could come back to it and you could help everybody else, like in the Sea Org or in Scientology, to get at everybody. That's part of your responsibility as an OT, is you're supposed to take responsibility for other living entities who are trapped here. Because here's the other little kicker. Over all these centuries you've been existing, all these trillennia of years, you have imprisoned and enslaved and suppressed other beings just as much as they have been suppressing and trapping and hypnotizing and harming you. It goes both ways. You've been the suppressor and the suppressee. You've been the policeman. You've been the, the, the criminal, right? You've been the good guy. You've been the bad guy. You've been the white knight. You've been the black knight. All back and forth over and over again and again. So you do have a responsibility to help all those people you kind of hurt over all those years. And the other thing about this is that if you went off by yourself, you're just going to get trapped again because other entities who don't have your best interests in heart are going to come and pile in on you. And Hubbard said that an organized group of lesser beings is capable of taking down a more powerful single entity. And that's how we all got stuck here in the first place. So Scientology encourages taking responsibility for everybody else. And this is actually, at its root, at its heart, is not a bad thing. It's not a bad principle, you see. This is the thing that gets played on that gets people into the Sea Org in the first place and gets them on the staff, gets them in this, you know, taking, giving all this money to Scientology is this, is this hitting this, this responsibility button. Because, um, of course, you know, everything I'm saying is kind of a fantasy. It's L. Ron Hubbard's fantasy, and, it's, and Scientologists buy into it. There's, there's no proof that any of this stuff exists. You just make up memories and, and remember it all, and then it's all true. And that's kind of how it really works in the real world. But all this stuff I'm telling you is the things that Hubbard has told all of the Scientologists, okay? So bottom line, in answer to your question, Steve, is that Scientologists are thinking way bigger than just being able to remember their past lives. They want that ability. And they believe that by getting up to OT8 specifically, they will get that ability of remembering everything that's happened to them in the past. OT8 is marketed as the first true OT level. All the other levels before that, OT1 through OT7, are the pre-OT levels. OT8 is the first true OT level. And the ability gained from OT8 is freedom from amnesia on the whole track. The whole track being all your accumulated experiences going back uh, to the beginning of time. So, um, so you're supposed to get that ability of remembering everything, but then you're supposed to have all these other abilities that are going to get rehabilitated by doing the rest of the OT levels. OT 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Scientologists believe these OT levels actually exist. They believe L. Ron Hubbard went the whole way to OT 15 before he died. He didn't, but they believe that he did because they don't know anything about how he actually died alone and in hiding and running from the law. 
So they believe that these OT levels exist, and they believe that OT8 is only the first one, and that by getting the rest of them released, they will be able to rehabilitate their full spiritual potential to create universes, do whatever they want, anyhow, anyway, anywhere. Okay? That's it. So really, probably the best, easiest, simple way to describe where Scientology is trying to take you or claims to be taking you is to godhood. And in that way, it's very, very, very much like the Jehovah's Witnesses, which is why I love talking to Jonathan Streeter about this stuff. And, um, and maybe someday we should do a, a three apostates about this and, and talk more about the final end goal and do some compare and contrast on that. That might be kind of fun. Uh, the final end goal of, our, of each of our religions, you know, the JWs and the Mormons and the Scientologists. But anyway, that's the end goal of Scientology is ultimate power and ultimate responsibility. And that's where you're supposed to be at. So that's why Scientologists keep paying the money, keep towing the line, keep trying to cooperate because they think that that's what they're going to get. And if that's what Scientology was really offering, no one would be able to stop. I mean, it would be unstoppable. I mean, everybody would, would be, they'd just be banging down the door trying to get to it. If one person, just one person could demonstrate even a fraction of that kind of spiritual power, Scientology would, I mean, the world would change overnight. It would be that, it would be that amazing. But Scientologists can't prove a goddamn thing because it's all fake. Okay, so that is my answer to your question, Steve. I hope that uh, answers it for you. Joe Schlau. Has Scientology historically favored a particular political party, or are they just opportunists who seek to corrupt any government officials that further their goals regardless of affiliation? In the end, it's pretty much the latter uh, there, Joe. Um, that Scientology has very conservative political leanings because that's how L. Ron Hubbard was. He was from the Midwest, turn of the century, grew up in the Midwest, um, you know, was in the Navy. A lot of conservative type values, right? And, um, and those are reflected in a lot of his lectures. So he, um, you know, is very distrust, but, but there's, it, it's all, it kind of goes over in the libertarian side too, but there's also, you know, he, he kind of goes around on the spectrum, but mostly hangs out over in that region um, of the spectrum. So distrustful of big government, not, you know, the social security is kind of a scam. Um, you know, exchange, it should be all about, you know, you do your hard work, you, you know, American dream kind of stuff. Uh, that's kind of Hubbard's views. The Church of Scientology technically doesn't have any political affiliations or views because they're a nonprofit church. That would be a violation of their tax-exempt status to start pushing, you know, candidates and stuff like that. But as we've covered in the past, that's, that's all nonsense. They'll push whatever they want. Um, but they don't have, I wouldn't say that there's any official church political leaning, okay? I'd say that they tend toward conservatism, but you have plenty of liberals or left-leaning people in Scientology, and you certainly have libertarians in Scientology. I used to run across that stuff all the time, man. Um, so as far as their political activities go, the Church of Scientology fosters relationships with politicians, law enforcement, or other civic and government officials in order to um, basically do its influence peddling, 
they give money or grants or influence or they do favors for politicians or, or these various elected officials, and, and, it, and it's tit for tat, right? And they do that always because they're running some kind of series of steps of, of programs. Uh, they're running some kind of program, I should say, to accomplish some specific goal. They never get involved with politics or outside people without some specific goal or plan or target that they're trying to achieve. Otherwise, they wouldn't waste their time because Scientology doesn't have a whole lot of people working for it. It's spread way too thin, especially at the level of the Sea Org. And there's just too few people trying to get too many things done. So when they focus on political things, you know that for them, it's important. There's something tactical or strategic that they're trying to accomplish. And, um, and they never just do it by chance or just randomly, okay? So that's kind of pretty much everything I can say about Scientology politically, and I hope that that uh, answers your question. RJK Dev, you once told me that it has been a long, long time since Miscavige was in session. If he were to get hurt, for example, break a leg skiing, would he also go through PTS handling, or would he just go to one of his secluded mansions and stay out of sight until he was feeling better? Or would he just pick some Sea Org person on his staff and say they are the PTS and tell his subordinates to sec-check the bleep out of that person, that is, skip any formal PTS process? I'm guessing he must have caught a cold or gotten hurt sometime in the last few years. I'm not really sure. To be totally honest with you, how this is dealt with at that level, but I, it, you know, if David Miscavige follows any semblance of Hubbard's technology or methodology, and I think he does, even if it's just to put on a show to the rest of the people around him that he's a standard Scientologist, he would get a PTS interview. Now, it's very, very likely that in the course of that interview, he's going to name people around him that he doesn't like who have been giving him a hard time or who have not been non, you know, non-complying with his orders is what I mean by that. No one gives David Miscavige a hard time, but you know, he would say they're giving him a hard time. He would say they're a thorn in his side. Uh, you know, ah, oh, that guy, oh, Mark Yeager, man, that guy's just a fly in the damn ointment. And he might blame him to be the SP on David Miscavige's case, so to speak. You know, Mark Yeager is the one who's being victimized by David Miscavige 24-7. But Miscavige will blame him for interbulating Miscavige, see? And that's why Miscavige got upset. He was interbulated. That's a Scientology word for upset. And because he was upset, he ended up hurting himself, right? And it's all Mark Yeager's fault. That's exactly, I think, the kind of uh, interview result you would get from David Miscavige. So it's all just sort of song and dance nonsense and Miscavige twisting Hubbard's methods around in order to further victimize people around him. But that's, that's probably how that would go. Yeah. It's time for Flash Answers. MD. What remake, reboot, sequel are you most looking forward to in 2019? The one I'm most looking forward to is uh, Avengers, uh, the last, uh, the endgame, and um, curious about the last Star Wars. I don't know what the title of it is yet. They haven't released it, but this next, uh, this, this episode nine, 
I'm curious where they're going to take it. Ultimately, at, at first I really liked, uh, well, I didn't really, really like, but I sort of was okay with the last Star Wars movie, but then after I was reading a bunch of feedback from other people, I was like, damn, they're all right. This movie sucked. And, uh, and I realized I was just trying to make up excuses for it because I, because Star Wars is so near and dear to me. But they are really screwing it up and in in with the latest trilogy. They really are just making it awful. Rian Johnson, just Ryan Johnson, ruined it. And uh, that's my take on it. You know, you can agree or disagree, but that's my take on it. So I'm not really super looking forward to the next Star Wars, but obviously when it comes out, I'm going to go see it. Mr. Marathon 1989. How similar is Scientology to Black Magic, which Hubbard studied? Does Black Magic work? I am not a practitioner of black magic, so I can't say authoritatively how similar Scientology is to it, but from what I do know, Scientology is very, very different. Um, Scientology shares uh, things with black magic at the level of, of theory, of primary principles and fundamentals, and in some of the um, structure that Scientology has, that Hubbard put together, is similar to, some, to uh, Aleister Crowley's um, Ordo Templi Orientis, the OTO, and, uh, and that sort of, that, that activity, right? Uh, there's a lot to it. I mean, people have written whole studies and I, I think even a book on this topic. But, um, but Scientology's, you know, in the end, it's a lot more psychological than it is magical. At least that's my take on it. And as far as whether black magic works or not, uh, no. <laughs> no. Lou Hay. I think you mentioned somewhere that even people who trained with L. Ron Hubbard himself had to redo their training. How could they justify that? You know, they didn't even really try. They just said, you're going to do it. And they just went the authoritarian route of do it or you're out. And they didn't really any offer up any other specific explanation for those people. And that's why most of the people who actually trained with Hubbard are now out of, this, of Scientology entirely, have been declared suppressive by Miscavige. Um, and generally speaking, a lot of those people got declared before Miscavige was even ordering retraining or redoing earlier levels. He was getting rid of people left, right, and center all through the 80s. Um, so by the time the Golden Age of Tech happened in the 90s and people were being ordered to retrain their, their studies, uh, most of those guys were already declared or gone. And those who weren't either went with the program or they were kicked to the curb right away. Okay, folks, those are my answers for this week. I hope you found them interesting, uh, somewhat entertaining and educational. Um, and on that note, please do consider supporting this channel through Patreon. As I mentioned, it is uh, my livelihood and the thing that keeps this channel going and uh, allows me to do the research and work necessary to bring you the content that I do. All right, guys, I will see you next week. Bye-bye.